As we transition now to the forming part of our worship, we will also transition our young people, ages K through 5th grade. Uh, We have a time for them with Miss Whitney, a children's experience that is tailored to them. Of course, all children are welcome to stay throughout the service. Children that go to the children's experience will transition back after the teaching time. And we have daycare for those, or nursery for those younger than school age. All right. Tonight after worship is our fourth Saturday, Saturday at Sophia's. So what we do on the fourth Saturday is we get in our cars following worship. We drive up about five miles north and we eat at Sophia's in Roscoe. That's why we say at Sophia's because that's where we go to eat. It's always a good time of fellowship. They have the whole back room for us, uh, so it's a really uh, nice time to catch up. I I just want to again turn your attention to the chili supper slash uh, silent auction. This is uh, one of our first attempts of uh, doing kind of a fundraising event, both for our ministry and for Imagine No Malaria. I'm going to show you in a minute another video about Imagine No Malaria. Uh, but the, the tickets will be $5, 20 per family. We encourage you to take tickets, to sell them to your family and friends. Um, we're not just selling them to you he, sitting here, although I hope you come and help and work, uh, but we need you to, to make sure your family and friends uh, come and take part of that. Uh, there's sign-up sheets for chili, for condiments, for uh, some other things. Certainly, we want people to come and help. Also, sign-ups for uh, things for the silent auction, baskets and other things that we can give away for the silent auction. So if you have any ideas, please uh, consider uh, doing that. And we'll talk more about that as it comes. But uh, start getting invested, start thinking about ways we can do that. Other than that, uh, we'll continue to talk about um, former or forwarders, where are we on, forwarders uh, fruits, on uh, Wednesday at 4 at 5.30. Uh, and uh, you can see some other dates in your New Life notes. Uh, if you are a visitor, if you're not set up on, uh, if you're not set up on receiving our weekly newsletter through the email, uh, please fill out one of these communication cards either way so we can get your information, get in contact with you, and let you know. We do a lot of that, a lot of... Um, Communication during that Thursday comes out on Thursday, uh, Thursday evening newsletter. So please uh, make sure you're reading that. Sometimes uh, it gets forwarded to your spam. So make sure that you look and make sure that you're reading that because there's new things on that every week. We're going to continue by looking at Imagine No Malaria, which is uh, kind of our theme mission this year. It's something that we want to join together. All United Methodist churches are uh, supposed to be working with this to raise $75 million uh, by 2015. Uh, And the hope with that money, we will be able to eliminate malaria. Last week, you learned a little bit about it. Uh, What we're doing is we're getting nets for families in Africa to to eliminate malaria in Africa. That's that's the particular goal. Uh, We're getting nets for families. We're educating people. We've opened 30 clinics in South Africa, 30 United Methodist clinics where there's free medicine, the medicine is literally pennies, but there are tens of thousands of people dying every single uh, week and month in South Africa for a disease that we cured 50, 60 years ago. 
Uh, we've also bought a uh, radio station. So we have a whole radio station that's broadcasting information on malaria, uh, broadcasting Christian messages and Christian uh, statements. And, and it's just a great program. We're partnering with the United Nations. We're partnering with the NBA, partnering with uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, partnering with uh, the presidential seal group, whatever that is, um, that, that works with, with these specialized groups. Uh, so it's just a wonderful thing to partner with. And, and what a cool opportunity to say we were part of something to help see the end uh, of uh, needless death and needless uh, pain. So let's watch uh, another uh, video about a village in South Africa and their struggles with malaria. In Kasungami in the Democratic Republic of Congo, daily burdens are heavy. Cast off like a tattered garment, the village lies at the feet of a majestic presidential palace. Of the 20,000 living here, many are refugees. Locals say they are the poorest of the poor. Mama Rose is a resident here. Malaria has stripped her of every precious thing she ever had. Malaria, moya, kurawa, moya, defobie. My husband died from malaria. Seven children died from malaria. So I don't have anyone. She expects that one day the bite of a mosquito will take her too. She lives alone in the one-room house in a neighborhood that has no clean water, just this putrid swill. It's the same water that will likely cause the malaria death of one in five of these children. This mother knows too well the danger. I wanted to take my child to the hospital, but I couldn't afford to do that, so he died. Shortly after her two-year-old died, her seven-year-old son succumbed to the disease. When someone has malaria, you are looking at someone who is going to die. There is scarcely anyone here who has not lost a loved one to malaria. There is no access to care. There are no mosquito nets, no drugs. But the United Methodist Church offers hope, but little hope exists through Imagine No Malaria. I don't want anyone else to lose their life to malaria. It is painful when you lose someone to this disease. Here in Kasungami, Nazareth United Methodist Church is a pivotal partner in prevention, education, communication, and treatment. Someday, the church will have a clinic, distribute medicine and bed nets, and teach people how to prevent and survive malaria. Someday, together with communities like this one, we will achieve victory. website up there uh, if you're interested in more information. During the Chile uh, dinner silent auction, uh, we will have a, uh, our conference representative from Imagine No Malaria. She will be here uh, and she'll be able to answer any questions you may have. And there's uh, people here in the congregation who have gone through training about Imagine No Malaria and they can answer questions that you might have. It is a really great opportunity uh, to partner in ministry with our brothers and sisters across the world in a place in the world where the Christian faith is growing and blooming uh, and very new and very young and very fresh in South Africa. Um, but more than that, just to, to realize that people are dying needlessly uh, and we can do something about it. 
Uh, you know, I said we were trying to raise $75 million. It's not like a pipe dream. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I want to raise a million dollars, and we raise, you know, 50 bucks. Uh, we've already raised almost $60 million uh, in the last two years. So uh, it, that's, it's going to happen, uh, and we can be part of it, and we can look back and say, wow, we were part of something really great. Uh, and that's what we do because we're a part of the church. So uh, let's now, as we transition to uh, the forwarder's fruits, let's have a word of prayer and just invite the Spirit into our uh, hearts and lives here. Lord, we ask that in this wonderful time that we gather together in freedom and uh, good health and in, in just this uh, nice uh, break from, from all this bad weather, we ask that you just send your Spirit upon us now. That you just open our hearts and our minds, that you allow us to hear uh, your gospel and your word in a new way, that you allow us to understand what you're saying in a new way that uh, encourages us as we go out into do ministry, into your world, as we forward ourselves and others back into this world to make a difference so that your kingdom can be a reality. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. I want to start tonight by reading a passage from the gospel of John. We're going to look at two passages in John tonight as our topic is feeding. The first is from John 21, 15 through 17. The second, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them to John chapter 6, and we'll look at a good majority of John chapter 6. So, so let's hear these words from the end of the Gospel of John. Uh, a unique passage is only found in John, uh, and a wonderful, wonderful passage. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus then asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know everything you know. I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's a very intimate moment between Jesus and Peter. And if you don't know the story, Peter, who was kind of the number two guy, who was kind of the, the next in line, was always there right by Jesus' side. Peter denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion. And so here after the resurrection, Jesus and Peter are sitting down together and they're talking. And Jesus asks, do you love me? That agape love, that's what he's asking. And if you look in the Greek, there's some... Uh, some variations of it, some, some arguments around it. But if you look in the Greek, uh, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me, agape? And, and Peter says, well, I love you, but he doesn't say agape. He uses one of the other words for love until that last time when he says, yes, Lord, I love you. Wonderful, wonderful passage. But, but what I want to focus on tonight, because we're, we're looking at forwarding how we how we go out into the world, how we do ministry among our family, our friends, how we do ministry among our community, how we do ministry in a global society. I want to look here tonight at this wonderful little thing. Last week we said 
uh, after the resurrection, Jesus got all the disciples together and he said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe that's our call to make disciples for the transformation of the world. That's our mission. And we do that through finding, forming, forwarding. But here, Jesus, and last week we, we talked about the first encounter Jesus had with Peter, where Jesus said, I'll make you fish for people. I'll teach you how to fish for people. Here at the end of Jesus' ministry, he's saying something else to Peter. He's saying, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, feed my sheep. So as we transition from fishing for people to feeding sheep, I want to think about what was Jesus talking about? Why was it so important? And what was he commissioning Peter and I think us to do in this feeding ministry? Now, food has always been an important part of church life, and I'm not just for those Methodists among you referring to potluck dinners. There is more to food in Scripture and more to food in the life of our church. In the wilderness, when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, God provided bread from heaven. Later on, we hear a miracle story of how God provided quail for the entire Israelite nation tens of thousands of quails. And I try not to think about that story too much because the more you think about that, you know, hundreds and thousands of dead quails, the more disgusting that story gets and the more gross it gets. So I just move on from that. It's really gross. The prophet Elijah feeds 100 people with some loaves of barley. Daniel uses fasting from food or eating certain foods to pray and to meditate and to ask God for direction. While the temple in Jerusalem stood, people came from all over the world to give sacrifices to their sins, to make uh, 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 reparations to God. And one of the things they did was give offerings of grain and offerings of food. Then Jesus came along and the stories of food literally multiply. So as we look to this call to feed, I want to look at one of the most well-known stories of food in the New Testament and the Gospel. And this comes from John chapter 6. It's a little bit longer. So, so let's hear these words from John chapter 6. As Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, that is the Tiberias Sea, a large crowd followed him because they had seen miraculous signs that he had done among the sick. Jesus went up to a mountain and he sat with his disciples. It was nearly time for Passover, the Jewish festival. Jesus looked out and he saw a large crowd coming towards him. He asked Philip, Philip, where are we going to buy food to feed all these people? Now Jesus said this to test him, for he already know, knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, more than half a year's salary wouldn't feed enough of each, or be enough food for each of these people. Not even for a little bit. Now one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said a youth here has five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that for a crowd like this? Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass there, and so they sat down. About 5,000 of them in total. And Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. When they all had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered up them all and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves that they had been left over from all those who had eaten. 
when the people saw that he had done a miraculous sign, they said, truly, this is a prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus understood that they were about to come and force him to be their king, so he took refuge alone on the mountain. Now, Jesus performed a lot of miracles throughout Scripture. He did healing. He did exorcisms. He turned water into wine. And he even performed a resurrection. But this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, or the miracle of the loaves and fishes, is the only miracle story to appear in all four Gospels. This is the only story of Jesus' miracle work that we see in every single Gospel in the Bible, all four stories of Jesus' life. So what is going on here that's so important? Obviously something about this story was important, and I don't just think it's because everybody got fed that day. Certainly that would have been enough to maybe write down in one of the Gospels. Even the resurrection of Lazarus is only in one of these Gospels. So certainly there's something important. And I believe that we need to spend a little bit of time looking at what's going on. Now, one of the first things I want to do is look at some arguments. And I don't think the, the debate is really important because there is a debate about what actually happened on that mountain. What did Jesus actually do? Was it actually a miracle? And I don't think that debate's important. But I do think that the arguments that each camp makes actually give us some insight into what is going on in the story and actually give us some insight into how we can do ministry of feeding. Now, the first argument is the literal one that Jesus literally performed a miracle that he took five loaves and two fish and he fed everybody with those. That is, that's a miraculous event. That's what I tend to believe because I like fantastical, miraculous kind of things. But regardless of if you believe that or, or one of these other things, I believe very truthfully that sometimes we are fed in miraculous ways. Sometimes we are fed in big Ways. Sometimes we are fed in life-changing moments, and these often happen on mountaintops. Now, it's, it's no coincidence that this story is happening on a mountain, and we talk about big experiences in our life as mountaintop experiences. The two are very much connected. These mountaintop experiences include things like uh, Christian retreats or conferences, concerts, maybe a conversion experience, mission trips. And sometimes when we're involved in big things and miraculous things. We actually are involved in feeding others. Jennifer and I were just recently at, uh, I guess it's been a few months because it was Thanksgiving, but we were just recently at uh, Jennifer's home church from the church I served prior uh, to here, uh, Grace Maple Park, and and we, we went to visit an event that they started when I was in ministry there, a turkey drop to feed local families in the community. Now, Maple Park's a a small town of about 1,200 people, and this is a small church, a small country church. Uh, and, and we started that turkey drop ministry a couple years ago. And, and this year, as we went to uh, that turkey drop event, they fed over 200 families. 200 families got a turkey dinner with all the fixings and all the sides of uh, really nice turkeys uh, throughout that community just because just of that small church. So t- sometimes, and, and there's a whole bunch of other things that went along with it, but sometimes God works in big ways. And we experience that. And I think everybody who worked that event and even us just going to drop off a turkey and visit that event, I think we were blessed and saw God in a big way in that minute, in that moment. One of the other arguments is that this miracle is sacramental in nature. That Jesus didn't multiply the loaves and fish, 
but Jesus distributed them and each person got a small amount, but because they were in the presence of Christ, they were fed. That they didn't need a whole bunch of food because they were so filled by what Christ was saying and teaching and doing. So kind of how we experience the Lord's Supper every day. And it's no, again, no coincidence that the words Jesus used when he breaks the bread and blesses it is the exact same language used to describe the Lord's Supper later on in all four Gospels. Well, in the, in the synoptic, the first three Gospels. Not a coincidence at all. This is a sacramental moment where Jesus is breaking bread and sharing and sharing a piece of himself. Now, is, is that what happened or what didn't happen? That's not really what I want to talk about. What I do want to talk about is sometimes God works in small sacramental ways. Sometimes it's a thank you card, a friend sharing a verse of scripture. Sometimes it's just an act of kindness, a simple meal with someone that just allows us to be fed and allows us to grow and allows us to just experience God. Sometimes we can also feed others with this same idea. Uh, Jeff said earlier in the service that we collect those blue prayer cards and I collect those blue prayer cards every uh, every week and I, I pray over them and I look at them before I send them out to the group and uh, we have one of our younger family members here uh, who often fills out one of these blue prayer cards on a regular basis and every week she fills out one of these blue prayer cards she, she often puts a concern what's going on in her life but she always puts a joy and, and it's just the simplest most wonderful thing and, and every week as I read those prayer cards and I pray over them. I'm just fed. And I just thank God for simple, wonderful things. Seeing uh, grace and joy through the eyes of a child is something that just feeds me every single week. Now, the final argument is uh, one, one of the most common, besides obviously the miracle one is, is predominant, uh, but this is kind of the second runner-up in terms of ideas about what happened on that moment. And that's kind of the sharing argument. Now, everybody, the 5,000 people, and, and some argue there was a lot more because maybe that was just the men, just the men were counting. Um, but either way, uh, the argument goes that, listen, listen, all of those people, they traveled nine miles across that sea to follow Jesus. Don't you think a couple of them probably packed a lunch? Now, the idea is that when they saw that little boy, maybe something happened because when Jesus looked out and said, how are we going to feed these people? They said, well, I got some food for me. And don't we do that? Yeah. Don't, don't we do that sometimes, though? Don't we say, well, Lord, I, I know you may want my, my, my whole self. I know you may want all of me, but, you know, this is my stuff. This is my time. This is my, you know, whatever. You know, I earned this. This is mine. And so they were keeping it to themselves. But when they saw this young boy bring some five simple loaves and two fish, people started sharing and people started opening up. And so this miracle was a miracle of kind of a snowball effect, kind of a sharing effect. Again, I'm not arguing one of these over the other, but I do believe that it gives us some insight. And I believe that we can be fed in the same way. Sometimes when we get together in a crowd something we call worship, something we call being part of the church. We feed each other. When I'm in your presence, when I'm in the presence of people who are hungry, people who want to be fed, people who are looking to feed others, I think it feeds me, it encourages me, it helps me. 
And, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So similarly, one act, like the act of that little boy, can snowball into a much larger, much grander ministry. Now, uh, last year, I think maybe a little bit longer than that, Jeff Adams uh, started inviting some people out to dinner after worship. And that one act of just inviting somebody out to uh, dinner um, and then inviting some more people out to dinner, that turned into Taste of New Life. That turned into Saturday at Sophia's. That turned into our weekly fellowship and just bringing us closer together as a congregation week after week. So you see that sometimes God works through uh, that sharing and that growing and that opportunity. So beyond arguing what what really happened, because I don't think that's really important, we can also see how Jesus prepared those who were present that day to be fed. Now, Jesus looked over the crowd and he saw that they were hungry. And he was going to prepare a meal for them. He was already doing that in his mind. And when that happens, we see three important interactions. Jesus interacting with Philip, the disciple, Peter, or uh, excuse me, Jesus interacting with Andrew, the disciple, and Jesus interacting with this young boy. Now, Philip was actually from this area. They they were kind of on Philip's home turf. Uh, And and we know that if we know a little bit more about Philip. So Jesus asked Philip, being the local boy, where can we get food? Where's the, you know, local Piggly Wiggly to get, I mean, schnucks, um, to get, uh, you know, either way, uh, to get all of the food that we need to feed all of these people? And what's Philip do? He does what many of us do, something that's really almost never helpful. He stops and he does the math. Now math is good, and I like math, but sometimes in the presence of Christ, math is not always the most appropriate thing. So, so Philip's thinking, well, there's about 5,000 people. I don't know how he knew that, but there's about 5,000 people, and you know, I think if we thought you know, uh, we could feed maybe 100 of them with a denarii, and you know, he starts doing the math, and he says, well, it would take six, mon- six months working wages to give each of these people just a little bit of food. And he said, that's impossible. It's a hopeless scenario. How could that ever happen? Then Andrew comes along. I like Andrew. Andrew is uh, Peter's little brother. I, we don't know how much younger he was, but I like to imagine that Andrew, in the scope of things last week, I said I, I think Peter was probably in his 30s, but I like to imagine that Andrew was a teenager and he, he was, you know, had kind of an enthusiasm about him because throughout Scripture we just see this enthusiasm around Andrew. And Andrew's always bringing people to Jesus. That's just his thing. He just, he's always grabbing somebody and saying, here, go talk to Jesus. Uh, and just kind of throwing people up uh, to meet Jesus. And so I, I just see that he has this kind of energy. And so while Philip's doing the math, because I assume that took a few minutes, they didn't have advanced calculus or anything back then or calculators, so he's doing it in his mind. Andrew's working the crowd. And he's looking for people to interact with Christ. And he finds this boy with five loaves of bread and, and two fish who, who wants to help, who wants to share. And so he brings that boy to Jesus and he says, Jesus, look, I found this boy and he's got some food. Now what are you going to do? He doesn't say it exactly like that, but really if you kind of read in it, that's what he's saying. You know, he kind of says it sarcastically or or, you know, kind of, kind of, well, what's going to happen now, Jesus? Well, you know, he, he kind of, I, I think, had that kind of excitement. And, and I think in his mind, what he was thinking is, I bet Jesus can do something 
with just a few loaves and just a couple fish. The difference between Philip and Andrew is that Philip looked at 5,000 people and how to feed them through the eyes of the world and the eyes of a human being, and he saw that the situation was hopeless. There was no way to feed that many people. Andrew, on the other hand, saw a need to feed 5,000 people, but he knew that he was in the presence of Christ, and he saw the situation with hope. If we want to be fed, if we want to feed others, we have to approach what we do with hope in Jesus Christ. Because we believe that through us, Christ can do amazing things. Now this story wouldn't even be in Scripture if not for one young boy. Now this young boy wasn't from a wealthy family. He had followed Jesus maybe by himself, more likely with family and friends. And he had packed himself a lunch for his family and him. Five loaves of barley... And that's important because barley was the grain of the poor. It was the most simple bread you could make at the time. It was actually used, barley was actually used to feed livestock. And so it was seen as the food of beasts, the food of the simple. And he had two fish. And when we think, you know, well, they lived in a fishing community and everything, uh, you know, we, we kind of imagine they're nice big fish and they're fresh. In reality, fresh fish was very uncommon. Because by the time it got caught and everything else, it didn't last very long in the hot desert environment that they lived in. So most likely what this boy had was two pickled fish about the size of sardines. These weren't, you know, 80-pound tuna being shared among 5,000 people. These were two little tiny pickled fish. But he brought them to Jesus. He didn't know what it could do. He didn't know what it would mean but he knew he had something and he knew he wanted to share that with everyone who was there. And so he brought it forward and he gave, it, gave of himself so that Christ could feed others. Now I believe we're all called to feed the lambs, to feed the sheep of Christ. Those who need love, those who need grace, those who need forgiveness, those who need new life. And hopefully you've kind of put the, the puzzle pieces together over the last two or, or, or the last few minutes. But if you didn't, here's how we do that. We need to approach the call to feed others with hope. We don't need to stop and do the math. We need to be able to be people of courage, be people of duty. And when we're called to feed, when we're called to do something like end malaria, that wouldn't have happened if people didn't get together and said, we can do this. This is something we can do. And so when that comes up, we have to approach it. But then we have to do something else. We have to bring to Christ what we have. It may not be much, it may be something simple. We talked a lot about gifts last week and how we use our gifts and how we use our unique gifts to share Christ's message, to uh, go out and make disciples. And so it can be something simple. It can be something small. Whatever it is, we bring it to Christ and we know and we have hope that Christ can do big things even with something small. And then we have to prepare for the results. And I believe as we looked at some different ways to see that story of the feeding of the 5,000, I believe feeding and big things can happen in different ways. I believe they can happen miraculously. I believe they can happen sacramentally. 
and I believe they can happen when we work together. But there's one more thing we need to to say as we close tonight. Jesus looked over that crowd of 5,000 and he saw that they were hungry. Were they physically hungry? Yes. But he knew that they were hungry for something else. They were hungry for the new life he was offering them. They were spiritually hungry. Now the good news of that story, and we've gone over that story before, here at New Life. But the good news of that story is everyone there was fed that day. It's good news. The bad news of that story is several minutes later, they kept following Jesus. And once the meal ticket ran out, a lot of them got up and went home. They missed out on what truly was being offered them. So as we think about feeding, as we think about going into our world, and feeding those lambs and sheep, we need to stop. And we need to look and see who in our lives is hungry, both physically and spiritually. We need to offer them food, teach them to feed others, and forward them to feed even more. I I truly believe when we talk about both feeding and food physically and, and spiritually and emotionally, I truly believe no one in this world should go hungry. And we work with with groups in in our community and across the world that work to feed because we have plenty of food. God has created this world that has more food than we could ever eat, even with uh, overpopulation and everything else. Unfortunately, lots of people go hungry, even right here in our community. So we need to be involved in that. We need to constantly see who is hungry and how can we help. But we also need to recognize that beyond just a physical hunger, there is a deep spiritual hunger that is alive in our world. And we need to be on the lookout to those finders five, those family friends, faces in the crowd, those people in our lives. Are they hungry? And are they waiting for me to share with them this good news? Amen. As we transition now to our forwarding time, our time of worship and praise. Oh, that would be important. Sometimes I used to get in trouble for that and for not doing the Lord's Prayer at my other church. Uh, well, let's take the offering. I was going to do that during the video and I obviously forgot. So uh, let's uh, collect the offering for tonight. Um, and I'll think of something funny to say, I guess. Thank you for that encouragement, my love. Uh, I, I, do, I do honestly, though, um, as we collect our, our tithes and offerings for tonight, uh, do, do be on the lookout for those who are hunger, hungry. hungry. Hunger is not just uh, a third world problem. It is uh, truly an issue here. Even in our Harlem School District, I don't know the, uh, the numbers for Rockford 205, Rockford's higher, and I know uh, Hananiga's a little bit lower, but here in the Harlem School District, where we're located uh, right now, we have about 80, 85 homeless children uh, that are considered homeless. We have a homeless coordinator. We have many, many children that are on um, supplemental lunches and who may not get food at home. Jennifer and I, of course, work with uh, foster children, and so many of these children who are coming into foster care do not get proper nutrition. 
do not get to eat on a regular basis. Food is withheld from them. Uh, food is taken from them or just not given at all. Uh, and so it's, it's not just a problem with the starving children in Ethiopia, which is a problem, um, and, and we want to support that, but it, it's a problem right in our backyard. Uh, and so when we can recognize it, when we can see it, we need to make sure that that is not an issue. No one deserves to go hungry. No one needs to uh, go hungry in this world. Uh, so now let's transition um, and, and, uh, in, into a word of prayer uh, as we uh, join together in our worship and praise. Let us pray. God of life and world transformation, make us ambassadors of your kingdom on this earth. Forward us into this world to make disciples of all nations, to bring healing and comfort, to feed and to clothe, to forgive and to give second chances, to fight for justice and to make justice a reality, to offer freedom from slavery to sin and death through your Son, Jesus Christ. As we praise your name in this time and place, help us remember all of those who are lost, who are hungry, who are brought low by guilt and shame, who are in bondage to their own sin and all those who need your love and grace. Lord, make us one as you are one. Raise us to new life. Allow us to share new life with all of those around us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.